Chapter 9 Faith Omnipotent And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Mark 9.23 I must take your minds back to the scene in the midst of which Christ uttered these memorable words. Christ had been upon the mountaintop, transfigured in the presence of his three disciples. During his absence, the disciples remaining had been put in a quandary. They found themselves, for lack of faith, unable to work a miracle. And the Pharisees triumphed. Christ came down just at that very moment and turned the scale. We find a parallel case in the story of Moses, when, with his servant Joshua, he went up to the mountain and beheld the glory of the Lord. While he and Joshua were absent below, evil lifted up its head, and those who would walk by sight prevailed over the poor, weak faith of Aaron, so that he made for them a golden calf. And lo, as Moses returned, he saw the people given up to the worship of this image, which they could see with their eyes and handle with their hands. Faith had left the field routed, because the champion was not there, and sinful sight was for the moment triumphant. Moses dashes boldly into the midst of the people, and instantly they are put to confusion. Some tremble, and the most brazen of them are made to hang their heads. He lays hold upon their molten calf, grinds it to powder, and makes them drink it. Now our Lord with His Joshua's, Peter, James, and John, the three elect out of the elect, had been on the mountain of transfiguration. The rest, like Aaron, found themselves attacked by those who wanted to see signs and wonders. But being unable to furnish these signs and wonders, due to their lack of faith, the Pharisees pushed their advantage, and the hosts of God seemed to fly before them. But suddenly, like a great king, Christ stands in their midst. The Pharisees are uncomfortable, a miracle is performed, faith triumphs, and the doubters are shamed. Like some mighty general who, having been absent from the field of battle, finds that his lieutenants have rashly engaged in action and have been defeated. The left wing is broken, the right has fled, and the center begins to fail. He lifts his flag in the midst of his troops and bids them rally around him. They gather. They dash upon the all but triumphant foemen, and soon they turn the balance of victory and make the late victors turn their disgraceful backs to flight. Brethren, here is a lesson at the very outset. What we want for conquest is the shout of a king in the midst of us. The presence of Christ is victory to his church. The absence of a Lord Jesus entails disgraceful defeat. O armies of the living God, count not your numbers, rely not upon your strength, reckon not upon the ability of your ministers, boast not in human might, nor, on the other hand, be dismayed because you are few, nor tremble because you are feeble. If he be with you, more are those that are for you than all those that are against you. If Christ be in your midst, there are horses of fire and chariots of fire around about you. When he makes bare his arm, who can his cause withstand? When he his people's cause defends, who, who shall stay his hand? Lift up your eyes, then, to the hills, from where Jesus comes who is your help, and entreat him never to forsake his people, but to dwell with them and walk among them forevermore. The matter about which the dispute had arisen was this. A certain man had a demoniac son, who was afflicted with a mute spirit which threw him into convulsions and ravings of the most hideous kind. 
The father, having seen the futility of the endeavors of the disciples, had little or no faith in Christ, and therefore when he was bidden to bring his son to him, he said to Jesus, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now there was an if in the question, but the poor trembling father had put the if in the wrong place. Jesus Christ, therefore, without telling him to retract the if, just puts it in its legitimate position. No, truly, he seemed to say, there should be no if about my power, nor about my willingness. The if lies somewhere else. If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. The man received faith, offering at the same time a humble prayer for an increase of faith, and instantly Christ spoke the word, and the devil was cast out with an injunction never to return. Brethren, you and I see that there is an if somewhere, but we are perpetually blundering by putting it in the wrong place. If Christ can convert heathens? No, no. If the church can believe he can. If Christ can make the ministry successful? No. If you can believe he can. If Christ can give me the pardon of sin? If he can give me high enjoyments? If he can lift me above doubts and fears? Not so, brethren, not so. You have misplaced your if. It is if you can believe. For if you can, even as all things are possible to Christ, so shall all things be possible to you. Faith stands in God's power and in God's majesty. It wears the royal apparel and rides on the king's horse, for it is the grace which the king delights to honor. Girding itself with the glorious might of the all-working Spirit, it becomes, in the omnipotence of God, mighty to do, to dare, and to suffer. All things, without limit, are possible to him who believes. I shall dwell upon some of the achievements of faith, and then notice where faith's great power lies. God help us to speak on both of these points with divine power. First, some of the achievements of faith. Time would fail me if I should attempt to rehearse the record of those who have earned a good report through faith. It is not necessary that my humble tongue should recapitulate what Paul, with inspired lips, has uttered in the ears of the church. Turn to the eleventh chapter of Hebrews and see there a mighty triumphal arch which God the Holy Spirit has raised in commemoration of the splendid triumphs which faith has achieved. Behold this tower of David, built for an armory, on which there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. With joy the church recounts her honorable ones, for the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. But it's not necessary that I remind you of these ancient things. I will rather speak of some of the things which faith can perform today, even today. First, we will consider faith in its relationship to guilt. Here we may say, in your hearing, if you can believe, guilt can be removed. Perfect pardon and complete justification are possible to the vilest sinner if he can believe in Christ. Behold, my brethren, faith going forth to conflict with sin. Mark for a moment its determined struggles, but see it coming back like David with Goliath's head in his hand, a mighty conqueror through the strength of its God. Faith in dealing with sin does not forget the greatness of it. Our sin is tremendous. It's not possible for us to overestimate its guilt. The sinner, 
under the most awful convictions, never exaggerated the evil of sin. It is a dreadful and a bitter thing, but faith deals thus with it. What if my sin be great? I have a great Savior. Surely He is able to take my sin, even if it were a hundred times as great as it is, and to cast it all into the depths of the sea. I know that I have greatly revolted, and have sinned with many aggravations against my God, but I believe in His great mercy, and I know that He is able to blot out my sins like a cloud, and my transgressions like a thick cloud. Faith does not lessen sin in the estimate of a sinner, but it exalts Christ so that the sinner firmly and fully believes that if his sin could be multiplied by all the number of the elect, yet he who is mighty to save could roll all the burden away and make him free. The greatness of sin is no barrier to its removal, if you can believe. Many also are troubled with a consciousness of the deserved punishment of sin. They are made to look into hell. They seem to hear the wailings as they ascend from the place of torment. Such awful passages as these are in their troubled mind. Topheth has long been ready, a pyre of fire and plenty of wood. These will go away into eternal punishment, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. But faith says, Yes, but despite all this, the agonies of Christ were so great that they are a suitable and full atonement by which all these torments can be, by God's mercy, fully removed from those who trust in Jesus, and they can even mount to the upper skies. To know the deserved punishment of sin, and yet believe that Christ can pardon, this is faith's work. Not to make out sin to be a slight mistake or a small and trivial offense, but to confess that the full weight of God's eternal arm can be none too heavy to fall upon the man who has dared to insult his Maker's laws, and despite all this, to believe that the atonement made by blood upon the cross was enough, and more than enough, to atone for all, this is the victory of faith, to know that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's dear Son, cleanses us from all sin. Multitudes also, I know, are very much vexed by remembering what guilt has done in them. I am, says such a one, so hard-hearted, I have so little repentance, I am so prayerless, I have nothing good in me, I am everything that is vile, there is not a commendable thing in me to move the pity of God. Now, faith comes in and says, It is even so, but, despite all this, I do believe the naked promise of God. I come to Jesus as I am, having nothing in myself, but possessing all things in Him. Nor will faith let the hardness of the heart, or the stubbornness of the will, be any argument why the soul should not rest on Christ, but believing all that could be laid to its charge, and sorrowfully repenting of it all, still faith says, It is written, The one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. I come, and Jesus cannot, will not, cast me out. When I feel my soul softened, when I feel the motions of the living fire within me, then to believe that Christ can save me is no great faith. But when I feel no spiritual life, when my heart is as hard as a lower millstone, and I see myself as corrupt as a dunghill, then to believe in Him who justifies the ungodly, then to take the mercy which Christ gives to the very chief of sinners, this is a masterpiece of faith, and herein faith makes all things possible to him that believes. In hope against all human hope, self-desperate I believe, 
Thy quickening word shall raise me up, thou shalt the Spirit give. The thing surpasses all my thought, but faithful is my Lord. Through unbelief I stagger not, for God hath spoke the word. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees, and looks to that alone, laughs at impossibilities, and cries, It shall be done. Sinners also are greatly troubled when they are awakened concerning the future. You will sin again, says Satan, just as you have done. All claims to a new life will be notable failures. You will go like the dog to his vomit, and return like the pig that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The revived mind clearly perceives that this would inevitably be the result, if the work were to be performed by human strength. But faith denies the slander by looking to the Lord alone. Though in me, that is, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing, yet he is able to save unto the uttermost them that come unto God by him. Faith clutches that promise, I give eternal life to my sheep, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And she looks upon the future with the same eye of faith with which she looks back upon the pardoned past, and rests herself upon the faithfulness and power of God to save. At times these old sins will rush in upon the believer's mind with a terrific force. Gathering dreadful strength from the justice of God, our eyes are tormented with the vision of an angry God, with His sword drawn, ready to strike us for our offenses. Glorious is that faith which can fling itself into the arms of God even when the sword is in His hand, and will not believe that God can strike the sinner who relies upon the blood of Jesus. Mighty is that faith which, looking at justice, stern and severe, trembles not, but cries, You are merciful and just, to forgive me my sins, for I have confessed them. Christ has made full atonement, and you will not twice demand the debt. He paid it once, and you cannot lay anything to my charge. Triumphant is that faith which marches right up to heaven and stands before the blazing throne of the great and holy God, and yet can cry, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised and this even when sin rolls like a black flood, and the remembrance of the past has lashed the soul to tempest. When we really know the blessed merit of Jesus' blood, when we fully understand the excessive mercy of God, and when we come to know the overflowing love of the Father towards His beloved children, then we shall not look upon sin as being less sin than before, but we shall no longer fear its penalizing consequences, being confidently assured in our soul that none of these sins can destroy us, that not the whole of them together can for a moment shake our standing in Him, nor by any means put us in any danger of eternal wrath, since we are covered with the righteousness of Christ and washed in His blood. Brethren, our sins, when pardoned, should increase our delight in God, since they afford us evidences of His exceedingly abundant grace and love. Amelie Sieverking, a notable Christian heroine, one of the most zealous workers of modern times, writes this, The sense of my own powerlessness but brings me nearer to him whose strength is made perfect in weakness. I give myself up to his guidance, in cheerful trust that he will finish the work which he has begun, and help the poor stumbling child again and again to rise. Aye, should it stumble a hundred times a day, 
and this is the point I want you to notice. Sometimes I feel as though I must lay bare to others the whole accumulated amount of my guilt, that they may with me admire the riches of divine long-suffering. This is how faith learns to deal with sin, to make it a foil to show the brightness of mercy, the setting in which the diamond of divine love flashes with supreme luster. The faithful heart always remembers its sin with shame, but still it remembers God's pardoning love with gratitude, and the sorrow helps to increase the thankfulness. The lower we sink by reason of the fall, the higher our love for God rises when we reflect on how His strong hand has taken us up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. Oh, I wish that some of you who are full of sin would believe that Christ can save you. All things are possible to him who believes. What if you are the blackest sinner out of hell, and you think the devil himself white compared with yourself? Yet, if you can trust Christ today, then all things are possible to him who believes. Whiter than the newly fallen snow shall you be in an instant if you can now rest your soul upon Jesus, who is able to save. Let us now observe faith in the midst of those constant attacks of which the air of heaven is the subject. Here faith again does all things. My brethren, no sooner is a Christian born than there is a great stir about him. Even as concerning Christ himself, Herod was seeking the young child so that he might destroy him. We all know how constantly the world attacks us, more especially if we will be separate from it, and will keep our garments white, and will not indulge in the common pleasures, nor be guided by the ordinary general truths of society. Then the world howls at us like a pack of wolves. What then? Why, faith finds here but an easy task, for it learns to glory in tribulations, delightfully remembering the beatitude of Jesus on the mount. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is an everyday conquest with the Christian, to laugh at Satan's threats. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The world attacks us also with its smiles, and unhappy is the man who has no faith, for soon the allurements of the world will overcome him. But he who is full of faith, when the world offers him silver, replies, No, I am rich in gold. And if the world would give him treasure, he would say, I have a better portion than you can offer me. Will you tempt a king with farthings, or a prince with a beggar's broken provisions of food? I am heir of all things in Christ. This world is mine, and heaven is mine, too. So he laughs to scorn all the smiles of the wicked, just as he did in the case of their frowns. Alas, brethren, we are equally attacked by the flesh. The lusts within are not dead. They are powerful still, and we know it to our cost. But here, too, faith overcomes. For while faith recognizes the power of the flesh and the lusts thereof, it so lays hold upon Christ so that it is lifted up into heavenly places and is able to tread its corruptions underfoot. Faith says to the believer, Be assured that notwithstanding all the plague of your own heart and all the dreadfulness of your nature, 
yet you shall as surely conquer as Christ has conquered, and you shall one day be as pure and spotless as even Christ Himself before the Father's throne. Up and at your lusts, believer! There is no sin which will not yield to faith. There is no necessity that we should always be sinning as we have been. We can overcome our lusts. You can drive out these Canaanites. Though they dwell in cities walled to heaven and have chariots of iron, you shall put your feet upon their necks and utterly destroy them. Little by little you may assuredly drive them out, but only by faith, not by works, not by trust in your own moral resolutions, but by trust in the sprinkled blood of Jesus can you overcome all temptation and subdue your sin. With my sling and stone I go to fight the Philistine. God hath said it shall be so, and I shall conquer sin. On his promise I rely, trust in an almighty Lord, sure to win the victory, for he hath spoke the word. In the strength of God I rise, I run to meet the foe. Faith the word of power applies and lays the giant low. Faith in Jesus' conquering name slings the sin-destroying stone, points the word's unerring aim, and brings the monster down. So it is with the devil. The devil comes out against us, but we are more than a match for him when our faith is firm. Upon the shield of our faith we catch his arrows, and by the sword of our faith we strike him to the very core. There is no temptation that ever can attack a believer, but that faith can certainly supply an antidote. If I believe in Jesus, I have his promise that I shall overcome, and I shall overcome because I believe that promise. Even if I should get beneath the devil's foot, and he should lift his sword to strike me, if I could say, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, for when I fall I shall rise again, I should rise, and victory would be mine. Faith overcomes even hell itself and its crowned monarch. For defense it is a full suit of armor, and for attack it is our battle-axe and weapon of war. As for the trials of this life, it is marvelous what feathers these are to faith, for she perceives that troubles come from God. Chrysostom has a gloss upon that passage in Job where Job says, The Lord has taken away. He didn't say the Chaldeans did it, nor the Sabaeans, though they certainly were the instruments, but the Lord has taken away. Emphasis added. The believer, seeing God's hand in everything that happens to him, feels pleased with all alike. As providence is in his Father's hand, he knows that it is always guided by love, by wisdom, and by grace. And so he thinks his worst days to be as good as his best. His foul days are fair. His dark days are bright. In full confidence he believes that all things work together for his good, and he leaves the working of them entirely with his God. O beloved, it is only lack of faith that makes this world such a place of sorrow to God's people. But when we get faith, faith laughs at every tribulation, no matter whatsoever source it may come from. Thus I have shown you that all things are possible to him who believes. Rise up, O hosts of hell, and shoot your arrows. You heavens, prepare your tempests. O earth, cast forth your floods. And you, O flesh, come forth with all your blasphemy and wickedness. Faith walks unharmed amidst all your fury as more than a conqueror through him that has loved her. We turn your attention to another point. 
the obtaining of eminence in grace. Many professed Christians are always doubting and fearing, and they think that this is the necessary state of believers. By no means, brother. All things are possible to him who believes, and it is possible for you to get into a state in which a doubt or a fear shall be but as a bird of passage flitting across your soul but never lingering there. When you read in biographies of the high and sweet communions enjoyed by favored saints, you sigh, Ah, alas, these are not for me. Oh, climber, if you have but faith, you shall stand upon the very pinnacle of the temple, for all things are possible to him who believes. I know you read about what some great men have done for Jesus, what they have enjoyed about him, how much they have been like him, how they have been able to endure for his sake, and you say, Ah, as for me, I am but a worm, I can never attain to this. There is nothing which one saint was that you may not be. There is no height of grace, no attainment of spirituality, no position of assurance, no post of duty which is not open to you if you have but the power to believe. Get up, get up from your dunghills, lay aside your sackcloth and your ashes. It is not good that you should grovel in the dust, O children of a king. Ascend! The golden throne of assurance is waiting for you. The crown of confidence in Jesus is ready to decorate your brow. Wrap yourself in scarlet and fine linen, and dine sumptuously every day. For if you believe, you may eat the fat of kidneys of wheat. All your land shall flow with oil, and wine, and milk, and honey. Your soul shall be as a watered garden, and your spirit shall be satiated as with marrow and fatness. All things are possible to him who believes. And yet a fourth point the power of faith in reference to prayer. Here, all things are possible to him who believes. In prayer, we are sometimes staggered by reason of the great things we are about to ask. But faith looks at the great promise, the great God, and his great love, and thinks that even a great thing is but a crumb from the master's table. Then again, we are often driven back by a sense of unworthiness. But faith looks at Christ's worthiness and believes that his worthiness is quite sufficient to put our unworthiness altogether out of court. Then we are apt to think of God's delays. But then faith thinks that God cannot deny, though he may delay, so she hangs on till the promise is fulfilled. Though the vision delays, she waits for it till it comes, for she is sure that it will come. And oh, it is a splendid thing to see faith wait upon God in prayer and renounce all carnal means depending simply and wholly upon the naked promise and believing that God can do His own work and perform His own word. Brethren, no man ought to doubt in these modern times but that God will answer prayer, and that faith with prayer can do anything. We have often heard of George Muller of Bristol. There stands, in the form of those magnificent orphan houses full of orphans, supported without committees, without secretaries, supported only by that man's prayer and faith, there stands, in solid brick and mortar, a testimony to the fact that God hears prayer. But do you know that Mr. Muller's case is but one among many? Remember the work of Franke at Halle. Look at the rough house just outside of Hamburg, 
by Dr. Wichern, commencing with a few reprobate boys of Hamburg, only waiting upon God's help and goodness, has now a whole village full of boys and girls, reclaimed and saved, and is sending out on the right hand and on the left brethren to occupy posts of usefulness in every land. Remember the brother Gossner of Berlin, and how mightily God has helped him to send out not less than two hundred missionaries throughout the length and breadth of the earth preaching Christ, while he has for their support nothing but the bare promise of God, and the faith which has learned to reach the hand of God and take from it all it needs. And need I remind you of a story we told you last Friday night, the story of Pastor Harms in Hermannsburg, where, by the power of that man's faith in preaching the word, he has seen the barren wilderness made to blossom like the rose, till his church has become a very model of what a church of God ought to be, a living and working body from which he sends out missionaries to the coast of Africa, having nothing for their supply but the offerings or the people drawn from them by the exercise of prayer and faith. I was reading a memorable passage in his life where he says he was wanting to send his missionaries out to the Gallus tribe in Africa, but couldn't find any means. So he says, Then I knocked diligently on the dear God in prayer, and, since the praying man dare not sit with his hands in his lap, I sought among the shipping agents, but came to no speed. And I turned to Bishop Gobat in Jerusalem, but had no answer. Then I wrote to the missionary Krapf in Mornbaz, but the letter was lost. Then one of the sailors who remained said, Why not build a ship, and you can send out as many and as often as you will? The proposal was good, but the money. That was a time of great conflict, and I wrestled with God, for no one encouraged me but the reverse, and even the truest friends and brethren hinted that I was not quite in my senses. When Duke George of Saxony lay on his deathbed and was yet in doubt to whom he should flee with his soul, whether to the Lord Christ and his dear merits, or to the Pope and his good works, there spoke a trusty courtier to him. Your grace, straightforward makes the best runner. That word has lain fast in my soul. I had knocked at men's doors and found them shut, and yet the plan was manifestly good and for the glory of God. What was to be done? Straightforward makes the best runner. I prayed fervently to the Lord, laid the matter in his hand, and, as I rose up at midnight from my knees, I said, with a voice that almost startled me in the quiet room, Forward now, in God's name! From that moment there never came a thought of doubt into my mind. Friends, the churches of Christ have no need of the modern machinery which has supplanted the simplicity of faith. I truly believe if the Lord swept the committees, secretaries, and missionary societies out of the universe, we should be better without them if our churches would but trust God, send out their own men, raise the money to support them, and believe that God would bless them. I hope the church will soon say, like David in Saul's clanking armor, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them, and with only her sling and her stone, confident in her God, I, the church, will confront her foe. We can do all things if we can but trust Christ. All things are possible to him who believes. But nothing is possible to your schemes and to your systems. God will sweep them away, 
and happy shall be that man who shall lead the caravan in their utter destruction. Go up against her, take away her shields, for they are not the Lord's. He did not ordain them, nor will he stand by them. Act in faith, O you people of God, and prove the power of prayer, for all things are possible to him who believes. There's another point upon which I have already entrenched, and that is, in the service of God all things are possible to him who believes. I know the devil will say to you, Why, you have no gift. And what if you don't? If you have the gift of faith, you may do something and fulfill your mission. Perhaps you are a minister. You have been laboring in a village with very little success. Brother, may it not be that you didn't believe that God would give you success? For if you had believed it, you would have had it. You are not hampered by God, but hampered by your own bowels. I know what it is to go to my chamber and feel ashamed of many a sermon I have preached, and moan and groan over it. And I have known what it is to discover within a month that the sermon has been far more useful in conversion than those which I thought had something about them which might render them effective. The fact is, God wants not our power, but our weakness, not our greatness, but our nothingness. Oh, brother, if God has called you to a work that is ten times harder than you have strength to perform, go and do it in His strength, and all things are possible to him who believes. I wish that this age would breed a few extravagant men. We are getting so dull, so cold, so commonplace. We all run in the same cartful, imitating one another. In the sight of one of the heroes of old, we little men do walk under their huge legs, and look around to find ourselves dishonorable graves. And all this is because we have left off faith. Let a man believe that God has called him to a mission. Let him say, Forward, in God's name, and that man will tell upon his times, and carve his name in the rock of ages, and leave memorials behind him which angels shall gaze upon when the names of emperors and kings have been swept into oblivion. Men and brethren in this church, many and many a time have I stirred you up to faith, and there are some few of you who begin to know what faith means, but, oh, I fear there are many of you still that have not come to the fullness of the meaning of faith. To live in a region of miracles, to be called fanatics, to see God's hand as visibly as you see your own, to recognize Him as greater than second causes, to find Him as one whose arm you can move, whose power you can command, to stand in an extraordinary position, far above the place where reason can put you, to know that you are a distinguished, separated, specially favored child of God. Oh, this is heaven begun below! Believe me, I often marvel how people can think that the present attainments of the church are all the church can expect. I look upon decent tradespeople, respectable ministers, and amiable women, and so forth, doing something, but doing very, very little, and I am apt to say, What? What? Is this all Christ shed his blood for? To make us do this? Is this all the Holy Spirit does? To make a man get through a decent sermon on a Sunday? Is this all? Is this God's work? I see God's work in nature, and there are towering Alps and roaring seas and waterfalls lashed to fury. But I look on God's work in the church, little, 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 everywhere.
Littleness is stamped upon the brow of today. We do not do and dare. And I am inclined to think that until we see some great and daring deed attempted, and some great and marvelous thing done for Christ, we shall not see the glory of the Lord revealed, so that all flesh shall see it together. What are we doing here, all of us cooped up in this little island, all of us living in England? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. How is it our hearts beat not for the heathen? We must stay at home, we have calls, but is not the call of God louder still, if we had but faith? But we are so carnal, we live so much on the things that are visible, that we cannot do a rash, brave, or graceless act for the Master. God help us to do it. Then shall the church arise and put on her beautiful garments. And woe to you, Ashkelon, when Israel's God is in the camp. Woe to you, Gaza, for your gates shall be carried on our shoulders when once we believe we are strong enough to bear them to the top of the hill, posts and bars and all. All things are possible in the service of God to him who believes. Finally, when we shall come to die, sickness shall cause us no anxiety, the solemn mysteries of the last article shall give us no alarm, the grave shall be no place of gloom, judgment shall know no terrors, and eternity shall have no horrors. For to him that believes, all things are possible, and death and death's shade give way before faith. Heaven yields to faith, hell trembles at it, earth is powerless before it, and lies in the hand of the faithful man like clay upon the potter's wheel, to be molded as he wills. I come to my last point, and may God bless it. Where lies, then, the secret strength of faith? It lies in the food it feeds on, for faith studies what the promise is, an emanation of divine grace, an overflowing of the great heart of God. And faith says, My God could not have given this promise except from love and grace. Therefore, it is quite certain that this promise will be fulfilled. Then faith thinks, Who gave this promise? It considers not so much its greatness as who is the author of it. She remembers that it is God who cannot lie, God omnipotent, God immutable, and therefore she concludes that the promise must be fulfilled, and forward she goes in this firm conviction. Then she remembers also why the promise was given, namely, for God's glory, and she feels perfectly sure that God's glory is safe, that he will never stain his own ornamental plate nor mar the luster of his own crown, and therefore she concludes that the promise must and will stand. Then faith also considers the amazing work of Christ as being a clear proof of the Father's intention to fulfill his word. He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him also freely give us all things? Then faith looks back upon the past, for her battles have strengthened her, and her victories have given her courage. She remembers that God never has failed her, no, that He never did once fail any of His children. She recollects times of great peril, when deliverance came, hours of awful need, when as her day her strength was. And she says, No, I never will be led to think that He can now renounce Himself and change His character and leave His servant. 
Faith, moreover, feels that she cannot believe a hard thing of her dear God. Is it wrong to use that expression? I must use it, for he is dear to me. I think this is one of the things I have repented of above all other sins I have committed, the sin of ever doubting him who loves me so well that he would sooner die than I should perish, and he did die that I might live. What? That God so dear to my soul, do I doubt him? I wouldn't spread a report that my father was a liar or that my mother would renounce herself. No, blessed parents, you would not be unkind to me. And, my blessed God, my faith knows that you cannot be unkind. Your love will make you faithful, even if your faithfulness were not enough of itself. If our God can leave us, then indeed I am mistaken in his character. If I can dare something for God, and he can leave me, then I have misread Scripture. I do not believe, young warrior, if God shall prompt you to dash into the thick of the battle, that he will leave you, as Joab did Uriah, to fall by the arrows of the enemy. Only dare it, and God will be greater than your daring. But we refuse to be honorable. A little hardship, a little difficulty, a little danger, and we shrink back to our lowly sloth. Oh, that we would rise to the glory of believing! Dearly beloved, I have tried thus to stir up your souls, but I am very conscious that we cannot have this faith in Christ except as we have more of His Holy Spirit. But then we have the promise, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ask for more faith. This church is enough of itself for the conversion of the whole world, if God will give us faith enough. If the little band at Jerusalem were all that was needed, a band of more than two thousand faithful men and women might be enough, if we had faith. And look at all the churches around. Would their success be as little as it is if they had more faith? All things are possible, and yet we do nothing. Everything is within our reach, and yet we are poor. Heaven itself is on our side, and yet we are defeated. Shameful unbelief! Be put to death forever! Glorious faith! Live in our souls! I hope that both sinner and saint will believe in the mercy and goodness and truth of God as revealed in Christ, and that we will take this home with us for today's meal. All things are possible to him who believes. Faith treads on the world and on hell, it vanquishes death and despair, and oh, let us wonder to tell, it overcomes heaven by prayer. Bids sins of a crimson-like dye be spotless as snow and as white, and raises the sinner on high to dwell with the angels of light. Amen.